I do want to thank, uh, so I just moved here a couple months ago and joined this church, came on staff here, and I had some friends come up today from South Jersey, two of which I knew were coming, four of which who surprised me, so I'm just thankful to them. Uh, this came from my, uh, my old hometown, which is great, so thank you for, for being here. Um, so we're continuing on in this series this morning, uh, going through this series called More, the idea that there is more to life than, than what meets the eye, and, and we're looking at these different characteristics of, of what it means to have you know, more in Jesus, and we've gone through things like more hope, and last week we talked about more freedom, which Pastor Adam did a great job going through that, and today we're talking about more life, and we're going to be talking about the abundant life in Jesus. And if you Google, just Google, abundant life, abundant life in God, the first group of things that come up are abundant life 101, four easy steps to have the abundant life. Send money to my ministry and you'll have the abundant life. All these different things, right? And because this is a natural thing in all of us, that, that we want more out of life. And if you think about what drives us, it's, it's because we want more out of life. And we're going to be looking today at a passage that many of you know if you've grown up in the church. But I want to start by uh, recalling really the story of Israel and the story of the, the people of God and then a prophecy in uh, the book of Ezekiel. So if you remember, Israel was, was a people that was chosen by God. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great people. And he, and he gives this promise to Abraham, and, and these different patriarchs of the family come along, and eventually Israel is this, this big nation, and, and they're, they're moving around following God's promise, and they, they find themselves eventually in Egypt. And we've actually talked about this recently, where this, this famine came, and they get stuck in Egypt, and they end up becoming enslaved to the Egyptians. Now, this doesn't seem to be the promise that, that God had given Abraham, and, and they don't know why this is happening, and, and they're enslaved for 400 years. And then God sends Moses to set them free, right? He says, I'm going to send this guy, he's going to set you free, he's going to go before Pharaoh, and he's going to free you. And, and God does this amazing miracle in setting them free from slavery. And they're able to go, and they cross the Red Sea, this amazing miracle happens, they cross this, this giant body of water, and they're set free from slavery. What I find interesting about Israel is that they didn't do anything to deserve this choosing by God. God says through Moses in Deuteronomy 6, he says, you didn't do anything. I didn't pick you because you were great. I didn't pick you because of anything you've done. I didn't pick you because you were big. I picked you because I love you. I love you. That's it. I'm choosing you, and I'm setting you free And he sets them free, and he says, I'm going to give you a land. He promises them this great land that they can go to. It becomes known as the promised land, right? And I would say that in the promised land was the full life. In the promised land was the abundant life that God had set aside for his people. Land flowing with milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb go with the spies, and they come back with this this great thing of grapes hung on a stick to, to symbolize the new wine that was there. I think it's a foreshadowing of Jesus, of this this full life that will be there in this promised land. But we know what happens, right? We talked about it last week. There's good kings, and there's bad kings, and there's good kings, and there's bad kings. And the people, they're not listening to God. They're not obeying what he's commanded them to do, and, and, and they're not loving one another, and they're not loving God. The Bible says in multiple places that their lips say these things, but their heart is far from me. That's really what it comes down to. Is that, is that Israel's heart was far from God. 
He had given them this land and this place to be, and he had given them his presence in the land, God with them, but their hearts were far from him. So God does what? He sends them into exile. The country breaks in two. Part of the country is uh, made captive to the Assyrians, and part of the country is made captive to to the Babylonians. And the people are carted away into Babylon. Thousands of people are put into exile in Babylon because of not following God, of not being close to God, of not having their hearts devoted to the Lord. When you read the prophets, you see these different things that God is trying to remind the people of. And I found it fascinating in studying for this in Ezekiel 33. You don't have to turn there. But in Ezekiel 33, the people have been captive for nine years in Babylon. And when they left, when they were taken away, Jerusalem was still standing. It was under siege, but it was still standing. Well, in chapter 33 of Ezekiel, this man comes to the people who are longing for home, longing for the promised land. He comes to them and he says, it's all gone. The temple has been destroyed. Jerusalem, the city of God, where God resided with us, it's gone. It's leveled. Now, you can imagine the despair these people felt. What happened to the promise? What happened to what God had offered to them? How could God let this happen? Now, I think what's great about this is you would think that Ezekiel, this word, this word from God, you'd think that, that he would come and he would say, okay, here's what God's going to do to rebuild this. Here's how you're going to be able to get back into the promised land. But he doesn't. In Ezekiel 34, this amazing thing happens. God sends a judgment against the shepherds. Now, not the shepherds of actual sheep, but the, the priests of Israel, the leadership of Israel. God, through Ezekiel, says to the leaders of Israel, he says, you missed it. You missed everything. Your job was to shepherd the people. Your job was to care for them. Your job was to help them be devoted to me, to turn their hearts to me. And instead, you abused the sheep. You put all this strict religion on the people. You blind shepherds. You were supposed to care for the weak. You were supposed to to bind up the sick. You were supposed to, to, to walk with them, to love them, to guide them. And instead, you devoured them. You got fat off of the sheep instead of loving them. So he calls them bad shepherds, and he says, God says this. God himself says, I will come and I will be your shepherd. I will be life to you. I will come and I will care for the sick. He says, I will find the lost sheep of Israel. And then he goes on in Ezekiel 34 and he says, not only are you bad shepherds, you're bad sheep. You're hitting the other sheep with your horns, you're running into them, you're running them out. You're bad sheep too. And that you don't love. It's all about religion, not about relationship with me and about relationship with people. And first he says, I'm going to come as your shepherd. God will come as shepherd. Then he says, David will come and be your shepherd. He will be a prince among his people. So which is it? Is it God? Is it David? Which is it? Well, it's both. As we've come to know in the New Testament, we see that. So I say all this to set up the full life, because I think what God was saying was, you shepherds led these people into religion, and it doesn't lead to full life. It doesn't lead to me. I'm the full life, 
as God. I am the full life, and I will come and I will shepherd the people into that. And I will be the good sheep that you couldn't be. People wanted the full life, but their hearts were far from God. So we needed a Savior again. And if you look at John 10, which is this famous passage, if you've been in the church for any bit of time, you know that Jesus says he's going to give us full life, right? Look with me at John 10. If you have your Bibles, take it out. If not, I'll just read it. The context here in John 10 is fascinating to me. I think John arranged this the way that he did for a reason. You know, the New Testament or the Gospels aren't always chronological. And I think John put this together the way that he did for a reason. In chapter 9 of John, Jesus heals a blind man. He heals this blind man. And what do the Pharisees do? They criticize him for it. A guy has been given sight who was born blind, and the religious leaders of his day say, yeah, but you did it on the Sabbath, you didn't do it on the right day. How blind they were to what was happening in their midst. The chapter after this, in chapter 11, is the resurrection of Lazarus. When Jesus tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. So I think this passage here in the middle, in John 10, was very strategically put here, by John, to talk about the full life. Now read this with me. In chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus is talking to the leaders, and I'm sure his disciples were there too, and he says this, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Which I think is similar to when he says, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you've got to come through me. I'm the gate. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Doesn't that remind you of Psalm 23? Right? He makes me to lie down. He gives me food to eat. He walks me beside still water. Verse 10. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now listen to this. In light of Ezekiel 34, where he says, you bad shepherds who are devouring the sheep and not caring for them, I will come someday and I will be the good shepherd. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. Trust me, these religious guys knew what he was saying. They picked up on it real quick and it infuriated them. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't devour them. He lays down his life for them. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. You cowards, he might as well have said to them. Then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, which I think leads to the Gentiles, right? They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, this command I received from the Father. And then the people are like, well, this guy's demon-possessed. He's crazy. And another group says, well, how can that be? He just healed the blind guy. Which is it? Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. This is when they were rededicating, remembering the dedication of the second temple. After it was rebuilt, after the exile, Jesus is walking through the hope of Israel, this this building where God's going to reside, right? And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Like I said, they knew what he was saying when he said he was the good shepherd. And they're saying, will you come out with it already? Are you going to rescue Israel or not? Are you going to re- reinstitute uh, temple worship? Are you going to bring God's presence back? Are you going to give us the promised land or not? Jesus said, I did tell you. But you don't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Can you imagine how mad they were? My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out from my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, if you're here and and you're not a Christ follower, or you're on the fence about all of this, and you want to understand a little bit more about who Jesus is, and you want to see his love, and you want to see his divinity, pick up a Bible in the back, get it on your phone, wherever it is, and read the book of John. John over and over again talks about Jesus' love, his, his shepherding of the people, his heart for the people, and his divinity, and who he is in the Father. Anyway, that's an aside, but I, I want you to know that if you don't believe that, that's fine, but check it out. You're here seeking for a reason. Look it up. So Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and give you life abundant, the full life. He says, I'm the good shepherd, religion is not. So the easy thing to do, the natural thing to do would be to say, okay, what is the good life? How do I get it? What's the full life? How do I get it? And, and I've heard Tim Keller talk about this. I've heard C.S. Lewis talk about this. If we land on what's the good life and how do I get it, but you don't really believe who Christ is, the minute something bad happens, you're going to walk away from all of this. Christian and not in the room, okay? If you don't really believe God's love for you first and really believe that he's the good shepherd who wants to lead you, as soon as something questionable happens in your life, you're going to say, what happened to the blessing? Did I, not, did I not do enough for it? What did I do wrong? What's wrong with him? We have to go first to who receives this. And it's the sheep. The sheep receive the full life, Right? By being with Christ, by following him, by listening to his voice. Now, what Jesus, I think, would have us know and what he says over and over again is that this is not religion that leads to this. If you remember Israel, were they picked to be God's chosen people before or after the law? Before. Abraham was picked before he had done anything righteous. God picked him because he loved him. God picked Israel because he loved them. He picks you because he loves you. That's not religion. That's the gospel. He loves you and you're his sheep and he wants you to follow him and he wants you to follow him into full life. It's nothing that we earn. It's nothing that we do. You know, our our example in all of this is Jesus who follows God who trusts the Father, 
who hears from the Father and follows him into full life. And it's a life that ends up in self-sacrifice, which we see we're called to as well. But he is our example. So the question is, do you believe that? Do you really believe in the gospel that Jesus offers his life for you, that God loves you and he is for you before you do anything? That while you're still a sinner, God loves you. So if nothing else is clear, you don't earn the full life. You don't sanctify your way into it, to use church terms. You don't do enough church stuff to get it. God offers it to you in his son, Jesus. And he says, come and walk in it. Come and live in this. Come and believe my love for you, that I chose you before you could do anything. So that's the first thing. The sheep receive the full life. It is offered to them and they can walk in it. So now the question becomes, if you believe that, what is the full life? What's the full life? So I want you to do something. All right? I want you to participate mentally here for a second. What do you think the full life is? What do you think the abundant life in Jesus is? Just take a second and think about that. I'm going to give you long enough because I need a drink. What is the abundant life? Maybe narrow it down to a couple things. Now, imagine you are a Christian living in Iran. Does the abundant life they can live line up with the abundant life you just pictured? Imagine you're a little kid growing up in a village, a squatter township in Cape Town, South Africa, where there's barely any upward mobility, barely any churches. Does the abundant life you just pictured line up with those people? What's offered to them? Same thing is offered to them as Christians. I say that not to be pithy, maybe a little bit, but I think too often we add our American cultural Christianity to our faith and we think that's the abundant life. Upward mobility, blessing, stuff, the good life, happiness, constant fun, good churches, great music. And I don't know. If Christians around the world can't have that, is that the abundant life that Jesus was talking about? I don't know. It's just something to think about. I mean, look at Paul. Paul says, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been left for dead, I've been whipped, I've been ostracized, I've been put in jail over and over again. I'm probably going to die a martyr. Full life. Is that what we sign up for? Look at Jesus. If Jesus was, I mean, let's be honest, right? Jesus was the greatest man who ever walked the earth. I would say he probably had the fullest life Constant communion with the Father. Ends with a ministry with a couple hundred people. Certainly wasn't a megachurch. One of his followers betrays him to death. And he dies a poor, naked, homeless man. 
the full life. Come and sign up. Yesterday, I attended a funeral. And I'm sitting in the funeral, and about six rows in front of me, up at the front of the church, there's this, this family that I know. And they're believers, Christ followers, particularly the mother. And they have a daughter who is um, severely disabled. Uh, very, you know, high amount of special needs in her life. And, you know, adorable girl. She's probably like 10 or 11 now. And they, her grandfather is the one who had passed away. And, and she, I know she grasps what's happening. And they bring her in in her wheelchair. She has trouble walking. And so they're sitting in the front row. And I'm, I'm about where you are. And they get her out of her wheelchair. And she's turned around and she's facing me. And she's clapping throughout the eulogy. Clapping. Very awkward for everybody if you're not used to this behavior. And she's smiling, and she's making noises, and she's beating on her dad's back occasionally. And God said to me, what's the full life for them? It's just something to think about. Our perception of the full life, I think, is a little warped sometimes by our desire for an easy life in Jesus. Because I think the full life is possible for anyone who is a sheep. Anyone who will call Jesus Savior. And Lord, master, and walk with him. So what is the full life? I think we're going to cover this in this series. Like I said, we've already covered hope and freedom. We're going to cover other topics that I think are found in Jesus. So I tried to pick a few things that have really been key to me, okay, personally. Things that have stood out to me about the full life. Uh, The first thing that I think we receive is the person of Christ. We receive God with us. Emmanuel, the shepherd who came and said, I will be your shepherd. I will be the perfect sheep. I will walk with you in this life. Think about, that, what, think about what that means to that family. Think about what that means to a kid with not all the physical blessings that, that we have in this country that are available to us. Think about what it means to someone who's lost a child. That Jesus grieves with us. That he walks with us in pain and suffering. He's a man of sorrows. He knows what it is to walk this earth. And he knows joy and he knows fullness of life and he knows happiness and he knows peace. And he walks with us. He indwells us by his spirit. So I think the full life has to start there. That Jesus walks in us and through us and with us. And he understands our pain. And I think along with that, he gives us his Holy Spirit who enables us to become Christ-like. I think the fullest life is the one that's most like Christ. But we can't do that on our own. You know, when we read the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, oftentimes we're like, okay, if I could just be a little kinder, I would get the full life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I am everything that is kind, and I live inside of you. Come and join me in that. This is what's available to you through the gospel. Live in this. Gentleness. You know, I was reminded this week, uh, with my kids, I, I was mad about something, and I, I started yelling. And I felt like Jesus said, I'm not like that. And there's no guilt in that. It's just saying there's a better way. There's a better way to love your kids. Love them the way I love you. With gentleness, despite the fact that you're a knucklehead every day. Despite the fact that you disobey me more often than your kids disobey you. 
and I'm gentle with you. Try it out. Try out the full life. Come and live in that. So it's not guilt. It's not that I earn it. It's something that's offered to me. So read the fruits of the Spirit sometime and, and think, oh, Jesus, how have you done these things in my life? And now, how are they available to me? How can I live in them? The second thing I think we get is peace and rest. We get peace with God. We get peace with our fellow man through Jesus. One of my favorite verses in John 14, 27, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Well, what was his peace? His peace was that the Father was in control and he could turn everything over to him and trust him. How freeing is that? You know, we were praying a little while ago and, you know, I have this, you know, when you, when you do public speaking, I don't know about you, but if you're a leader, you know, in a company or whatever, you want to perform and you want people to like you. That's not peace. I have to trust that, that God loves me and God gives me peace to know that whatever, he's in control. It's his. And we have that same peace when we go about our lives in Jesus. Something that goes along with that is rest. We can rest. We can intentionally put margin in our lives and it will be okay. Because God's God and I'm not. And we can rest in him. He has accomplished all that needs to be accomplished. And in him we can rest. Finally, we have purpose. You know, I think what drives so many people is purpose. They want to know, am I doing, am I doing well? Am I doing enough? Am I, am I achieving some great thing? Am I making a great name for myself, for my company, for my family, for my church, whatever it is? And we want this purpose. And I think, I think Jesus gives us a purpose for our lives. You know, I, I love to see the church expand. I love to see the kingdom expand. So for me, the purpose we have that God gives us multiple times is to go and make disciples. Why do you go to work every day? Yeah, to provide for your family. But it's an opportunity to make disciples there. That's your purpose, ultimately. In your, in your family, with your kids? Yeah, raise good kids, okay? But your job is to disciple them. That's the purpose. The purpose is to be discipled yourself, to, to disciple your spouse and have them disciple you. And so I think our purpose should, is symbolic. And it is the full life, and it should override everything that we do. And then I think... It also helps us know that things happen on purpose. Things happen for a reason. You read the end of Romans 8, you see what Paul says we have in Jesus. It's amazing. You know, oftentimes we focus on the verse, uh, you know, that, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And, and we don't see the rest of it. We don't look at the rest of Paul's life. It wasn't all good. But he knew that someday it would be. Someday it would make sense. I listened to this Tim Keller sermon this week, and I cannot even get close to talking about the, the problem of evil and happiness and all that stuff, but he has this sermon called Christian Happiness. I encourage you to check it out, because he says, he's talking about Romans 8, and he says that um, when we become Christ followers, what we start to understand is that our bad things will turn out for good, that our good things can't be taken away, and that the best is yet to come. Check out Keller, much better preacher than me, all right? Listen to this. Our bad things will turn out for good, our good things can't be taken away, and the best is yet to come. That's a life on purpose, and that's understanding that there's purpose behind everything that happens. It doesn't mean it's easy, right? 
But we've already covered that Jesus loves us and he's with us and he walks with us and he mourns with us and he grieves with us and he's happy with us. He's joyful with us. So it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt at times. It doesn't mean that the pain goes away, but it means there's a purpose behind all of it. To me, that's the full life, the person of Christ, the peace of Christ, and the purpose. So then we get to the full life 101, the four easy steps, right? Okay, we've boiled it down to three, and for 1995, you can have these three steps to the easy life. Now, listen, there's a lot of ways to go about this, to being a disciple, and I tried to I tried to go about what has spoken to me. What Jesus says in this passage of John 10 is, I've come to give you life to the full. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. So how do we get the full life? By listening to the voice of the Savior. By listening to the voice of Jesus at work in our lives. Well, what does he sound like? Is it an audible voice? Is it dreams? Is it visions? Yeah, I think it is. And we can talk about that in a minute. But I think Adam and I were talking about this week, uh, talking about this this week. I think... The most important thing that we can go to is often the most neglected, Scripture. John calls Jesus the Word of God multiple times. He's God's spoken Word, made real in human form, and then given to us in Scripture. We have God's promises, we have God's teaching, we have God's wisdom, we have the full life for us to read anytime we choose. We carry it around in our pockets, in our phone, in a thousand different versions. We can have it at work, in the car, on the radio, anywhere. But we neglect it. We're like, oh, I need a vision from Jesus. Yeah, I think that happens, but when you have a ton of it right here, check it out. And again, please don't hear, okay, please don't hear religion in this. That if I read enough scripture, I'll get the full life. No, no, no. I'm saying read scripture, hear the voice of God, understand what he's calling you into. It's very different. It's very different. Jesus is the word, and he's contained in this book that has been preserved for us. It's the word of God. We can read it any time, and I encourage you to read it. Meditate on it. Pick a verse this week and just meditate on it all week and see what Jesus says to you. The second thing is people. We hear the voice of the Lord through people around us. And this is one that we're like, I don't really know. Uh, You know, I, I don't know if I want to get in community. Hey, We're big on community here for a reason, because God speaks through other people. We need it. We need to be gospeled by one another on a regular basis. If you're not in community, talk to me. Talk to Pastor Adam. Find out how to get in it because God speaks through other people on a regular basis. We see it in Scripture and we've seen it in our own lives. You know, I think like, okay, so my friends come and visit me today. I was thinking about this while we were praying. To me, God is speaking through them to say that I'm loved. How amazing is that? God loves me, shows me through other people. So it's not just about accountability, okay? Like, This is God speaking and edifying his church through people. But sure, we can be gospeled through our sinful habits. But it's not a gospel that says, you need to get this right. It's a gospel that says, hey, there's a better way. Come join me in this. Come join Jesus in this. Be a part of community. Be a part of gospel-centered community. That's how you hear the shepherd's voice. And finally, through prayer. Now, Prayer, oftentimes, I think we, we say, okay, I want the full life. Jesus, here's my list of the ways that I want the full life. Please give it to me. I would encourage you this week, if you're meditating on Scripture or when you're driving down the road or whatever, just pray and try to be quiet and say, Jesus, would you speak to me? Now, here's what I've learned in my life. I don't know how it's been for other disciples in the room, but where this started for me was probably 10 years ago. I really started trying to listen to the Lord. And you know what I heard for years? One word. Love. 
Lord, what do you want to say to me today? Love. All right, it's been like two years of that. Like, it's getting old. Give me something else. Love. Well, if God is loved, he was saying something to me in that. I need to learn how to love people. But then as you listen and as you accustom yourself to listening for the voice of the Lord, I was driving down the road one day going to this job that I hated and people that I was not loving well. And I said, God, how long are you going to keep me here? And I felt very clearly, it wasn't an audible voice, okay, but it was so clear in my head that I knew it was not for me. God said, where else can I put you to learn what I need you to learn about love? So it was more than one word. And in that is the full life, learning how to love people, to become more Christ-like. And in that's the full life. And then over time, the things that I felt from the Lord have been stronger or become clearer and more words. And it's not like we sit and have full conversations in which we're just, you know, going back and forth. But, you know, there are impressions that the Lord puts on your heart when you start to try to listen to him. So if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, make space in your brain, in your heart, in your day to listen. Don't just talk in prayer. Listen to what the voice of the shepherd says. He wants to give you full life. So, our example, again, is Jesus. You know, what does Jesus do when he comes up against things? He quotes scripture. He only had the Old Testament at that point. But he quotes Old Testament scripture because it was the full life for him. It was meaningful to him. It was the word of God. It was the bread of life for him. He prayed regularly. Jesus would make time in his day to go and pray. He's the good sheep. He knows how to be a sheep, and we can look at his example and be sheep who follow the shepherd. We serve a good shepherd, church, who loves us, who offered his life for us, who laid down his life for us. He offers his life for us. We offer our life to him. He died for us. We die to self and live in him. Live the full life. Listen for the shepherd. Listen to his voice. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you've got questions about what that looks like, I'm no expert, but had some experience. Get in community. Love to talk to you about that after the service. Um, so this week, I would say, look, live in the gospel. This isn't religion. Don't try harder this week. But just make some time. Make some time to listen to the Lord. Make some time to meditate on some scripture. Make some time to hear God's love for you, to read it, to study it, and then to walk in it. Can you pray with me?